What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode 35 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman, and as always, I am joined by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, we've got technically not a pay-per-view. Technically, it was a WWE exclusive event. I am aggressively doing... Uh, quote quotation marks with my fingers as i say this but it essentially was a pay-per-view really big title match in 2016 along the road to wrestlemania we're talking about wwe roadblock live from toronto the last big show on the way to wrestlemania 32 and there is some good there is some bad there is a lot of just you know it it is a, a beautiful slice of 2016 wwe and we love to see it so uh, I'm excited to talk about it. What is going on, boys? Hey, Ange, how many rolls did you eat? Ooh, I will not. I, I will not comment on this at this time. Uh, <laughs> please allow me and my family space to grieve. Um, we will hey, discuss this explain. matter. For, <laughs> I, I I would rather this not go discussed. No, I just accidentally ate the third roll for my brother because I was like, oh, it's at my spot at the table. I'll just eat it. Yes, we we, we were about to record and we heard this very. Very loud, very Italian family arguments about An- about Angelo taking too many rolls at the dinner table, and uh, yeah, I mean your 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 new mic, you got a new mic. It yeah. is fantastic, and it picked up every single bit of that. And that's the downside too, because I like I love having good quality microphones, um, and they're very nice. They're nice to set up. It's nice to be able to hear myself as I record the podcast. Uh, the downside, though, is that because I do not have a devoted recording space, uh, everything in my house gets picked up, whether it's the TV, my parents, my brother, my dog. Uh, opening the door like you have heard from me uh, letting my dog out, which has been heard on the podcast multiple times. Uh, but you know what? If that's the price I have to pay, so be it. I'm an open book. I'm not ashamed of anything. And yes, I did eat that third roll. And you loved it. I bet it was so goddamn good. It was so delicious. They're like these nice little like, garlic rolls. Uh, they're in triangles. They're just perfect. They're just like got a nice outside, satisfying bite into. Very nice doughy middle. And now your brother's not going to get one, Angelo. How do you feel about that? Eh, I've done worse to him. <laughs> Wait, so so they're they're garlic. They're not garlic knots. They're they're garlic rolls. They're garlic roll. It, it's not a garlic knot, no, because it's not obviously not a knot. It's just like a triangular piece of bread. Uh, that's nice and puffy, nice puffed up. Uh, with a like a garlic glaze on top, phenomenal. Okay. I mean, okay, it sounds like it's a gar- garlic knot. It's a garlic knot that's not a garlic knot because it's not tied in a knot. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, which is like Roadblock 2016 because it's not a pay per view, but it is a pay per view all at the same time. Ooh, let's not let's ooh, not bury let's not let's not bury the lead here. What did you end up eating for dinner after those rolls? Oh, a chicken after parm. You- a chicken parm. Ooh, that's the good stuff right here. That's <laughs> Very a, good. That's a, Fun fact about me, I make great chicken parm. Ooh. Great chicken parm. I'm going to have to try some. Fun fact, I, I go Super Saiyan when I eat chicken parm. It's you that come Italian down blood. Here, you come down to Virginia Beach, I will make you chicken parm. It will be fantastic. <laughs> but. Sign me up. We have a wrestling event to talk, boys. 
Now, this isn't just a chicken parm podcast, although I could talk about chicken parm all day. It is one of my favorite meals. If you want to talk about chicken parm, I'll inflict some chicken harm. Okay, we're not going (laughs) to... No, no, no. We're talking about wrestling, boys. So we're talking about Roadblock 2016. Are you guys ready to remember some guys? Let's remember 2016. Yep, let's let's go. Remember (laughs) some guys. It is March 12th, 2016. We are at the Rico Coliseum in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We got 9,000 fans in the building, billed as a sellout for Roadblock, which... As we mentioned before, not technically a pay-per-view, it was a WWE Network special that was basically set up as the last stop on the road to WrestleMania. And it is kind of a glorified house show with one big important match that this event was basically set up for. We have Triple H, the WWE champion, who is going to face Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania, but not unless he can get past Dean Ambrose, who is challenging him in a match that had been built up just absolutely tremendously well on WWE television, the weeks moving up to it. Dean Ambrose is trying to hijack WrestleMania and take away the main event. Dean Ambrose is essentially the roadblock in the name of the show. Wait, coherent storytelling? Yes. What? This is genuinely one of the last like big main event feuds in WWE that I really remember being very invested in. And at the end of the day, I was not satisfied with how it ended. But you can't, you you, you know, you win some, you lose some. Oh, but like we'll, we'll get whenever there. whenever Triple H like won the the Royal Rumble this year, I was like, God damn it, it's going to be Roman and, and Triple H. Like yes, you knew honestly. I knew as soon as Triple H entered, I was like, oh. That's where they're going with this. Yeah. But, yeah, and so then I was obviously not happy with all of it. Well, nobody was happy with it. Everybody (laughs) had the impending doom. This is early 2016. The backlash towards Roman Reigns as the top babyface had hit hard. And nobody wanted Roman versus Triple H. Everybody saw this coming, and we were all dreading it. And this was the last little gasp of hope. Could we avert this thing that we don't want to see? Our only hope is Dean Ambrose. There was a sign in the crowd that said, when it rains, spelled as Roman's last name, uh, it bores. And I just thought that was very creative and funny. Yeah, I feel like that kind of became a, a common refrain. You would see people with signs that stated that. But I do remember seeing that 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 phrase, if it, when it rains, it bores quite often. It's funny to look back at now because who is the best thing about WWE in 2021? It's Roman and it's not – there's not even a close second. I, don't I would Roman say Reigns. Drew is a close second. Drew puts on great matches. That's not, mm. not slight Drew, even though if he is going against Goldberg now. Ah, I mean, that's that's its own can of worms. But, I mean, I think we can agree that it – like the most important – like the most interesting thing about WWE now is Roman Reigns. And it's funny how far he's come. But – we are trying desperately here in spring of 2016 to avert the impending fate of Roman versus Triple H in the WrestleMania main event. That will be later on in the show. We are starting off with the WWE Tag Team titles on the line. We got Michael Cole, Byron Saxton, and JBL on the call. Oh, Toronto, don't you dare be sour. 
It's the New Day. This is the first time I think we've had the New Day on the show. Can confirm. It is yes. the first New Day appearance. First Big E appearance, second Xavier Woods, and I believe the fourth or fifth Kofi. The New Day is defending the WWE Tag Team Championship against the League of Nations, Sheamus and Wade Barrett. Uh, they were a stable. Uh, Rusev and Alberto Del Rio were also in the League of Nations. They were absent uh, according to Dave Meltzer, they were wrestling at a house show in Atlantic City that was the exact same night. So they sent two of the League of Nations there, and they sent two of the League of Nations to Toronto to challenge the New Day for the belts. And the New Day come out. Xavier Woods has got the trombone. The crowd is absolutely rocking. They cut a promo where they dramatically unveil a box of bootios from under a little curtain to the roar of the crowd. Biggie. Uh, pretends to be a child and he gyrates everywhere very sexually. It's a pretty typical Big E promo and they never get old. They, it's, it's never gotten old. It's been over almost five years and the New Day is basically doing the same thing and it's still great. I don't know how that's possible. But at this time, they they were still kind of trying to work their way to being a face because, I mean, do you all remember Heel New Day? Yes. And he vaguely. Like, Heel New Day was was good. I, I liked them, but they eventually they, they did the thing where they got so good that they were like, all right, we're going to have to start turning them face. And they didn't really change anything. Yeah, They just kind of kept doing it, and the crowd started cheering it instead. Yeah, they basically just kept the exact same gimmick and kept cutting the exact same promos, except they would take out the one line where they had to insult the crowd because they're here. They basically just took that out. And left everything else the same. And they became the most popular baby faces on the roster. And that's kind of like one of the things that WWE does now is that, oh, if you get over, you're automatically turned into a baby face. Which is why Roman not having crowds right now is really good. Because you know if they're hearing those cheers for uh, mob boss Roman Reigns, they will turn him face so hard. Absolutely. And it, would go, it would go back to boring uh, when it rains, it bores. So fast. Yeah, it is, it is a... Uh... It is a blessing and a curse sometimes to have a crowd, but I, I, I would personally like to have crowds. I would. I'm too. just saying, just for me, I'd like to have crowds. But uh, this crowd in Toronto is very into the new day, as every crowd ever has always been forever. I mean, yeah, they were heels when they started out. They gradually kind of started working their way into being baby faces just because they were so charismatic and so entertaining, and everyone just enjoyed watching them so much that they kind of realized. Yeah, they're supposed to be heels, but the, the crowd is never going to boo them now because they're so much fun. So we might as well just make them baby faces. And that's what they are still to this day. But so it is a uh, new day. It is Biggie and Kofi, which was always the highest power level configuration of the new day, taking on Sheamus and Barrett of the League of Nations. So uh, we start off the new day. Uh, they do the unicorn stampede on Barrett in the corner where they tag in really quick and keep stomping on him. Um, one thing that I will say, when they broke up the New Day, uh, a few months back, they moved Big E to SmackDown and they kept Woods and Kingston on Raw. You know, it hasn't been as bad as I feared because Big E's gotten a good push on SmackDown. It, you know, and, and you still kind of get the sense that they still are a unit they're just split up for the moment. And, you know, Woods and Kingston are great together. But the one thing that is really lost 
by having the New Day now be a two piece is Kingston, uh, Kingston and Biggie wrestling while Xavier Woods is clowning around on his trombone at ringside. Because <laughs> now he has to wrestle all the matches and he can't fuck around on the trombone. And it's not the same. It's just not the same. It's also not the top level of New Day. Because, like, again, what you said, Kofi and Big E are tier one, S tier. Woods and Kofi are probably, they're A tier, but that just means that they're not S tier. Yeah. I mean, the best configuration of the New Day has Xavier Woods not wrestling. And that's not because Xavier Woods is not a good wrestler. He's a very good wrestler. But it's not the same New Day without Xavier Woods playing the trombone at ringside. <laughs> and just not, being a general distraction. Yes, it is. This, this is how I will picture the New Day in 50 years when I remember the New Day. Uh, so yeah, the New Day is on top early in this match. Barrett comes back. He hits a big swinging side slam in the League of Nations. They work over Kofi for a long time. Kofi eventually gets the hot tag to Big E. He comes in. He hits three straight belly-to-belly suplexes on Wade Barrett. He hits a big running splash. Barrett comes back. He hits a snap suplex off of the middle rope where he kind of springboarded back into the ring and hit the suplex. It looked pretty cool. Um, Kofi and Sheamus then get back into the ring. Kofi, it's a twisting cross body off the top rope for a two count. Goes for a trouble in paradise, but Sheamus catches the leg and turns it into a Texas cloverleaf. Kofi barely gets to the bottom rope. He comes in, he hits an SOS, tags in Big E. They get him up for the midnight hour, but Kofi gets knocked off the top rope. Barrett comes back, he hits him with a super kick, and he has Big E pinned, but Woods uh, distracts. Xavier Woods jumps up on the ring apron, he distracts the referee, the referee never turns around and counts. Then on the outside, Kofi takes out Sheamus, Big E gets up, Wade Barrett, he hits the big ending, and he gets the pin to retain the title. Nine minutes and 49 seconds, very fun opener. I mean, the New Day is like the perfect way to start off every show. (laughs) Did you guys pack. did you guys forget about the League of Nations like I did? Yes. Completely. Completely. Yeah. Completely. I absolutely forgot. Like this is remembering a stable, I guess. Because I was, like I forgot that Seamus and Barrett and was it Rusev? And Del yeah, Rio. And Del Rio. And, and Del Rio, right. It was like that was just the most random shit ever. I don't even think it's a bad gimmick per se. I think it's a good way to kind of keep some of that xenophobic thing that they kept in the nineties without being inherently racist. Well, it's got, yeah. I mean, it got over before. I, I, I kind of like the concept of the League of Nations, but when you think about it, they basically just kind of like, when you remember how they were booked, they were basically put together to put over rope. Like, they, oh, had, that's they, true. they took they took these four, like, pretty good heels, and they put them together, and it's like, yeah, you know, they're all from different countries, they're all pretty good. You know, this this could be something that worked, but they only existed to put over Roman, and Roman just fucking killed them for, <laughs> and, like, three months. And, and two, that was it. And two of those guys were top of the car of Sheamus and Del Rio. You had another one in Wade Barrett who was mid-carder, and yeah, he got you-can't-wrestle chance during this match, which I think is just more of, like, how you know a guy has heat on him more so than, oh, he actually can't wrestle. Because, yeah, Wade Barrett doesn't have a big variety of moves, but I don't think he's a bad wrestler by any no, stretch yeah. of the imagination. Wade, Rush, Wade Barrett was well, – he was fine, like – he was He's completely fine. fine. Like yeah, how much how, was cool. How hard would we pop if he came back and wrestled in NXT? How hard would that pop? Only be? only if he comes back with the bad news Barrett gets. Yes. He says the catchphrase. Then I'll be in. Wait, then, hold on. Was this was this bad news Barrett? Or no, this Wade was post bad. This is post bad news. He might have oh. he might have been King Barrett at this point. 
he was King he Bear. Won the King of the Ring. He might have been King Bear. This I, is I, a. I was calling him Wade Barrett the whole time, but I think he was technically King. This Barrett. is this is cursed Barrett then to me. Yes, this is this is career like towards the end of his career, Barrett. Huh. Now, is this before the bar? Because they weren't mentioning the bar at all, and I feel like Cesaro have been another perfect guy to throw into League of Nations. This is pre-bar. Cesaro was still like a mid-card babyface. I didn't realize that bar was that recent. I thought bar had been around since like 2014, it just, or maybe it just felt like that. No, I want to say maybe the next year was when they made it a thing, or later that year, but it was like, it, it was, we're talking about 2017. Which is a very... They, they which, had a long feud first. That's right. Yeah. And, they had and like Cesaro. a didn't they have like a best of seven series or something? Something like something that. Something like yeah. that, yeah. And then they put them together. And it turned out to be way better than we could have all expected. I mean, that That's tag very team true. legit. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I thought they freaking kicked ass. I actually really loved that team. I th- I think they were kind of hit with that overexposure thing that we talk about where like like you see them wrestle so much that eventually you're just kind of like numb to them. Well, yeah, but for like they they did bar versus New Day a Jesus. thousand times, and it was always good. But at the same time, you're like, can we give this a little breath? You know. And when it wasn't bar New Day, it was bar Usos. Usos, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, them too. It's like pick two of these teams, and they're gonna feud for like three months. Yeah, because it's like you have like at this time you have like three, maybe four at most good teams, and then they all fought each other forever. <laughs> With the other team, I think I guess Gallows and Anderson was in there too eventually. And they all kind of fought each other forever. Brawl but, forever. Yeah. Uh, Fight forever. But um, going back to like the promo work, like it's it's just hysterical how the New Day gets over with this. Because this, because some, at some points, like it comes off as that kind of cheesy, just easy pop for the kids. But in actuality, it's just so awesome. And everyone's in on the joke. And because like who else could they put in that spot? For this entire team's premise to be like these goofy nut jobs who talk about a better tomorrow. Like, who else could get that over besides those three? I I have the same exact note. Yeah, I mean, it's just because it is super corny and super goofy. Like Falsetto Big E. Falsetto Big E was hysterical. (laughs) It's It's a bunch of grown men who are dressed as unicorns talking about like a fake breakfast cereal and just doing stupid voices. But like it gets over because they were, they were genuine. Like you could tell that these were three guys who were all friends and they were just going out there having fun. Absolutely. It was a good vibe. It's just a good vibe. We all love good vibes. Absolutely. And they were allowed to like, like mess with their own gimmick and stuff. Yeah. It's just, uh, again, with the new day for me, every time though, I love just seeing Biggie wrestle and he does a lot of good work in the ring. I think his moveset's very unique. I love the big ending. But the best selling point for me is that he's maybe 5'10 on a good day. And he's just this squat hunk of meat who just has all this power, who is just unimaginably thick, that just moves around like he has no weight to his bones. Like he just, yeah. he's a graceful like a gazelle, but he's built like a brick shit house. Um, <laughs> Uh, the trombone spot where the Irish whiff, uh, whip Kofi into the turnbuckle to hit a spot on, I believe it was Sheamus with uh, Xavier Woods playing the trombone while it happened. Peak comedy. I loved it. Again, it highlights what Xavier Woods is great at outside the ring. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there's just not there's not a lot to go on with this match. Uh, I didn't like the uh, you can't wrestle chance for Barrett because, again, he's not a bad wrestler. He's just maybe Maybe boring is the best word for him, but I think that kind of plays into who he is as a wrestler. It, it, it felt very natural for him. 
Uh, also, did you guys see that Kofi bump off the top rope where he like tries to jump over Sheamus and I guess Sheamus doesn't move out of the way entirely and he ends yes. up landing on his neck? That was pretty awkward. I was like, oh shit, Kofi died. But I've been seeing, I've been watching Kofi take really weird bumps for like 10 years. And it's like, every now and then you'll see a Kofi bump where you're like, that looked, that looked awkward. I hope he's okay. And he's always fine. Yeah, he hops right back up. He just bounces right back. Yeah. I don't, I, like his, I don't know if he's like ever been injured before. I mean, he's been there for 15 years and I can't remember him ever getting injured. He got injured off like the time when they put over Nakamura and Cesaro at, I want to say it was, uh, Oh, Extreme Rules back. I guess that was in June. Now uh, he took that spot through the t- uh, two tables in the title match, and that put him on the shelf. I think for like six weeks. Oh, you might be right. Actually, I think you are right. But that's the only time I can remember him actually being hurt or not on the roster. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, fun opener. As I said, I, I just feel like the New Day is the perfect way to start off the show because they're always going to be over every time they come out there. <laughs> you have. You have Biggie, you know, shouting his thing as they start it. It's, it just feels like it's just a great way to start the show. They're always funny. They're always entertaining. They're always good in the ring. You know you're going to get something good. It gets the crowd going. Next up, we have got a uh, we've got a Paul Heyman promo backstage where he christens Toronto as the new capital of Suplex City. I don't know how that works, making Toronto, which is already its own city, the capital of a totally different city. I was scratching my head a little bit watching that. I was scratching my head at face Brock and Heyman. Yeah, well, we do have a Brock match later on. We're going to talk about it. But But their faces. We have got, next up, Chris Jericho and Jack Swagger. Yes, the two future inner circle teammates in AEW facing off in this match here at WWE Roadblock. And I, I really enjoyed the promo package. This because this was leading into like this was this was coming from Jericho turned heel about a month or so before on AJ Styles. And they showed Jericho turning on AJ. They had been a tag team for about three weeks called Y2AJ. And they had just released t-shirts on WWEshop.com. And then the next episode of Raw, Jericho turns on AJ Styles. <laughs> what a heel! And I think about that sometimes because I've always wanted to get a Y2 AJ shirt because they must have only been on sale for like four days. And then the team <laughs> broke up. I think about it a lot. Uh, but Jericho has turned heel. Um, and he comes out. Obviously, we're in Canada. He is the legend from Winnipeg. He is a heel, but he's obviously he's going to be get he's going to be getting cheered in Canada anyway because a he's a Canadian legend and b he's a you know he's Chris Jericho everyone loves him so he ha- he comes out and he cuts a heel promo and this is just like one of the most over the top heel promos of all time he uh, he just shits on Canadians even though of course he is one <laughs> he says he is the greatest icon in the history of the country. He's ashamed to be Canadian. He says that moving to the United States is the smartest move he ever made. And he finishes off by saying that Canada stinks and Toronto is the anus. (laughs) A fantastic promo. And then who does this prompt to come out? Incredibly over-the-top promo. Out comes We the People, Jack Swagger. Now we are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, 
possibly during the start of the Second American Civil War, as we currently speak. So a guy doing a We the People gimmick is hitting a little differently right now. But it is funny that they thought that the a guy whose nickname is the Real American, and his whole thing is We the People, he's the, he's the American guy, is going to be the babyface in Canada against a Canadian guy. <laughs> And not, and not not any Canadian guy, the like, Canadian the guy, Canadian guy, yeah. except for like Bret Hart. Jack they Swagger did. comes out. Yeah, Jack Swagger comes out. He is not over at all, but the We the People chant is over. So he gets he gets you know the crowd does We the People. So you got future uh, Inner Circle boys throwing down in this match. Not a whole lot to it. Uh, we've got big CM Punk chants. During this match, not the uh, not the last time we were going to get very loud CM Punk chants. <laughs> uh, Jericho cheap shots him. He takes him over. He beats him down for a while. Uh, he goes for the running bulldog, but Swagger is able to get him and throw him into the corner. He gets his big comeback to absolutely negative heat. There is absolutely silent in in the arena here in Toronto. He goes up for a Vader bomb. Jericho gets the feet up on him. Jericho hits a running bulldog. Goes for a lion salt. He misses. That allows Swagger to hit the Vader Bob for a two count. Uh, he tries to lock in the walls of Jericho. And Swagger tries into lock in the ankle lock. They're going back and forth. Uh, he, Jericho goes for a code breaker, but Swagger reverses it, catches it into a power slam for a two count. He locks Jericho into the ankle lock, but Jericho gets to the bottom rope. And then very quickly, Jericho just gets back up and just puts Swagger in the walls of Jericho. And he gets him to tap out uh, in 7 minutes and 54 seconds. Chris Jericho wins the match. And as he walks up the ramp, JBL. Oh, my yells, gosh. You still got it 11 times in a row. I count it. <laughs> this, that was awful. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I've said this a lot in the past couple weeks with what we've been watching. But, like, I just didn't care about this. This, like, the first match, okay, fine. Like, that, that could have been on a pay-per-view. I, it would have made sense. This match made it clear. This was a house show with a big-time main event. That was it. They just wrestled a house show style, super safe, seven minutes, get in, get out. And then that was it. I just did not care about it. Yeah, so this uh, stunk of the Cat versus Disco Inferno. Uh, But I'll use it this time then to speak about something else. Um, First of all, remember when Swagger was paired with the manager of the Nazi Twins? Good old Zeb Coulter. Coulter. Yeah, who managed the what was it, the Harris brothers? Yeah. Uh, yep. Good yeah, times. Nazis. Good times. Uh but I will say this. I have a deep appreciation for moves that are like simple or established or like first day of wrestling school moves that just have a different name on them to make them or power level higher. <laughs> like the swagger bomb, which is a different version of the Vader bomb. Love it. I love the swagger bomb. I thought it was it's always a cool move. I'll <laughs> pop for it. But the one I'm specifically thinking about is Walls of Jericho. Because it's just a Boston Crab. But it's just like it's got this ungodly power level because it's not the Boston Crab when uh, Chris Jericho does it. It's the walls of Jericho and it's this very painful submission move. And I just have a nice appreciation for things that are very simple, but because they are named differently, they have a higher power level. Big sucker for it. That's true. That's true. Because, yeah, the walls of Jericho is literally just the Boston Crab. But it's not a Boston Crab. It's the walls of Jericho. So it's completely different. And it is much higher power. Uh, but yeah, this is basically just, uh, yeah, it's it's a house show match, as you said. 
Because this is what the show is. It is a house show, but it's got an important match. Yep. And that's why it became its own thing. And that's why it came up on our randomizer, and that's why we got it. And better that's than fine. the other one. Yeah. It's yeah, it's better than the other roadblock that happened this year. Because that that is the that is the distinction. There ended up being an actual pay-per-view later this year that they called Roadblock End of End the, the line, line. Which yeah. distinct. I'm glad we got this one. So next up, we have NXT tag titles on the line. It is the revival, Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson taking on the team of Enzo and Cass. And this was, I mean, the, the NXT tag team division, 2016, 2017, Oof. was great. It was just great. Um, the revival had such a great run as the champs. Of course, now FTR in AEW. I think we could probably agree. One of the best tag teams in the world, if not the best tag team in the world. Um, Enzo and Cass, they come out first. God damn, they were freaking money. They were money. It just money. I can't believe it got fucked up that badly. I cannot believe it. I love Enzo promos. Enzo would never disappoint on the mic. I just I think about what might have been with those two guys all the time. Because I you know, they were so entertaining. All of the catchphrases were over. You'd have the whole crowd just screaming their stuff every single time. They were like the New Age Outlaws, except better. And, you know, they could have they sold... They, they could have been big-time, you know, merch boys forever. But it didn't happen. didn't work out that way. But they come out first. They've got Carmella with them, so you have the extended version of the, uh, the intro promo that... Everyone knows every word to still to this day. I know every single word of it. Oh yeah. Um, so they, they hit every single one of their catchphrases. S A W F T soft. They hit that. And there's a ton of shots in the crowd of all the people chanting with them and with all the signs with their slogans on them. A lot of people very into this. Um, and then the revival come out. We've got big NXT chants as the match starts. And this was one of the cool aspects of this is you have some couple NXT matches interspersed with the main roster guys. Later on, you have an NXT guy versus a main roster guy. Um, Enzo starts out really hot as this match starts. Uh, he gets a Hurricane Rana and out of the corner on Dash Wilder. He tags in Cass, and Cass just goes crazy. The, the one thing about this team was their dynamic was like big Cass – when he was in the ring, never sold for anybody. He just killed everybody whenever he was in the ring. His power level was crazy. Meanwhile, Enzo. Yeah, Enzo was the guy to A, sell, and B, get picked up by Cass and thrown at people. <laughs> and this is what they do a lot in this match. Cass just throwing Enzo onto guys. He gorilla presses Dash at one point, and he throws him into Dawson. And then he grabs Enzo and launches him over the top rope onto both guys to the outside. Eventually, the Revival take control and they beat down Enzo. And they were always so great um, at you know all the creative ways they would cut off the hot tag and just you know, classic tag team wrestling. Eventually, they get Cass in and he runs completely wild. He hits a ton of moves. He kills everybody with uh, big boots. He gets uh, dash up. He gets the East River crossing. And they're about to do the rocket launcher 
onto uh, onto Dash, but Dawson sneaks up. He crotches Enzo on the top rope. They all go to the outside. Um, Carmella walks up and slaps Dawson right in front of the referee, but there's no disqualification. The referee's standing right there looking straight at them. Uh, But all the chaos allows them to hit the shatter machine on the outside on Big Cass. Uh, Enzo gets a brief little flurry of offense at the end. He gets uh, gets a diving flatliner on Dash. He rolls up Dawson for a big near fall. And then uh, uh, the Revival ends up hitting sort of an elevated shatter machine on Enzo. And they win the match and retain the titles. 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Very, very fun match to watch. Took the words around my mouth. I was going to say this was just a fun match. This is definitely, what, number two or number three, depending on how you felt about the New Day League of Nations match. I would say for me, this was probably number two. Yeah, this yeah. was number two yeah. for me. I would agree. Because, again, you, ha- you, hit all, you hit all the notes. Like, it's everything you want in an Enzo and Cass match. It's everything you want in a uh, Revival match. And they both get to look really pretty strong. Uh Enzo's entrance and then his uh, henceforth speech of every uh, entrance that he gets. Uh, My name is Enzo Amore, and I'm a certified G and a bona fide stud, and you can't Can't teach teach that. that. Oh, my. Like, I I will smile. Cash money. I will smile every time I think about that because it's never not funny because you have this little short-ass dude who's not big in the slightest amount. Uh, just talking like he's seven foot tall and nothing's funnier. It's just perfect. It's great. And again, butchered when he gets to the main roster a little bit. It was cool to see him get that cruiserweight towel, but yeah, he had too much heat, uh, from guys like Neville and Simon Gotch, as we've learned that just does not know how to sell in the match. I have but heard also- that Simon Gotch is, is quite frequently shooting <laughs> on, uh, on Enzo More on YouTube. I wonder, maybe one day I'll check out one of those videos. Uh, also, uh, Enzo was under some heat for uh, allegedly sexually assaulting somebody. Like, like the charges eventually got dropped, but just full in the interest of full disclosure, Enzo was absolutely accused of sexual harassment and then wrote a shitty rap song about how he didn't do it. Yeah, in which he used in which he used the term, and I quote, <laughs> "consensual penis." <laughs> Ah, uh, Enzo Amore. I think Why about, were you such an asshole? I think about the words consensual penis a lot. <laughs> I think about it a lot. That should be the only penis being given out. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I mean, listen, this was good. I When I watch Enzo, like Anne just said, I can tell he knows how to wrestle. Like, in the sense of a dog knows how to play, but they don't know how to play without hurting you. And that's, that's exactly a perfect. The perfect. That's exactly. He's like a puppy. He just wants to have fun, but he's out there just. Uh, David, do you remember when he got hurt when he gave himself a concussion? Yeah. Do you have you seen that, Angelo? No, I've not. He throws himself Wait, yeah, into yeah, yeah. the ropes so hard that he gives himself. Actually, he knocks himself out. Wow. Yeah, he throws himself he into was, the rope so hard. He was dead. He was like. <laughs> it, it, I'm trying to remember exactly how he did it. I, I want to say he was like. He was like taking a bump against the rope. Yeah, and he like hit the bottom rope or something, and he whiplashed himself against the the ring, and he hit hit his he, head. He hit like the top rope. He was like trying to go through like the third and second rope, like the top and middle rope, and he hit his head against it, 
and then just proceeded to ragdoll onto the floor. I mean, he was dead. He was like, <laughs> eyes rolled back in his head, not moving. Like, he had just, like, gotten knocked out in a UFC fight. Like, yeah. it was it was scary. I mean, the guy was freaking dead. Yeah, it was. Never so change, that's... Enzo, but change. <laughs> um, but, I, I, but again, like, I think this match, with the characters you evolved, you get to see him on full display. Um, Dawson denying Enzo the tag where like Enzo's like on the outside of the ring. He runs in and is trying to sprint over to Cass and then Dawson just like tackles him out of the ring. I thought that was a really cool spot. You don't see that a lot. Um, but it's like, no, we're keeping Enzo as a legal man because we want to brutalize him. Um, the shatter machine, amazing move. I love that move. When they hit the super shatter machine, it just looks devastating, <laughs> especially when it's on Enzo. Um, but again, this kind of feels like this is kind of like the problem with like WWE tag team wrestling is that it's always treated like a stepping stone for guys. It's never like what AEW is doing is like they have the tag team titles. It's its own separate division. It's still important. Is it the world title? No, but it feels just as important as any singles title on the roster. Whereas with WWE, there's a level of comedy to it. It's like the 24 seven title. Like look at um, the guys that really held the title. Now, obviously, you have uh, the Hurt Business holding it right now, but they have some business going on with, like, Cedric and uh, Shelton Benjamin. But, like, the New Day had it for forever. The Street Profits are having it for forever. Why? Because they're funny guys. They can do some comedy bits, and they're still over. You don't have to worry about them uh, going over, which is why when the FTR got pitched, hey, you're going to have to do some comedy stuff in order to stay relevant. They're like, no, we're taking – the whole entire the uh, idea of the gimmick is that it just fits – just fists, no flips. Yes. Or no flips, just fists. What I flipped it around. But it's because it's serious tag team wrestling. So having your serious tag team be a not serious tag team for the sake of keeping things in c- continuation, it's no wonder that they left. And it's a shame because like they made tag team port, uh, wrestling feel important in NXT. And then they got up to the uh, main roster. And every single one of their runs – just had no meat on the bone. It was just all laze fa- blah blah. It was just blah. <laughs> I yeah, have no yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's been extensively documented that. I mean, just as a philosophical thing, Vince McMahon has never really cared about tag team wrestling that much. He's uh, always said like that. Pe- that his excuse is always that people don't care about it, which I think AEW has shown to be absolutely untrue. Yeah. I think I think you don't care about it, and you're just projecting. Yeah, AEW is on the verge of trios titles. That's how cool tag team wrestling is. This is how that's how many teams they have. I mean, holy hell! But yeah, I mean, I, I think the one uh, exception being I, this era in NXT, the the tag team titles felt really big and felt really important. They had a lot of great teams. We had you know having great matches. The revival, AOP. American Alpha, DIY, you had a lot of great teams having great matches against each other. And Enzo and Cass, through all that time, was one of the most over ones because they had they were just charismatic. Enzo was incredible on the mic. They're charismatic. They were fun. And uh, they just had that great dynamic because you had Enzo being the, the little guy who talks a lot of shit, and he can talk a lot of shit because he's got his huge buddy there to back it up and then pick him up and throw him at people. Makes uh, me hopeful for great. Jake Maverick and Killian Dane. Yeah, but it's I'm it's never going to be the same. Because Enzo is really just a one-off. I mean, the guy is so freaking crazy, and there's nobody really like him. No. That it's kind of impossible to recreate his specific kind of charisma. 
Yeah. Unless you literally hired like the situation from the Jersey Shore. <laughs> I mean, that's not like they had Snooki wrestle a match. Like it's not that far from the realm of possibility. No. And I mean, I don't know if he can actually cut a promo. So who knows? He seems, hey, he seems be- pretty dumb. Before we move on, there was one little spot I wanted to highlight because it's the little stuff like this that I picked up on. At one point, uh, Enzo rolls up Dawson, and the ref is kind of like distracted. And when he turns around, Wilder is in his way. So he legit just like jumps 10 feet in the air over top of Wilder and like lands in the counting position. And it was the most athletic thing I've ever seen a referee do in a WWE ring. And I just needed to mention that. Refs, it made me chuckle. Refs are people too. I mean, refs, no, we we suck, but refs are athletes too, except for you. <laughs> so, next up, we've got the WWE Divas title on the line. Uh, we have Charlotte Flair defending the title against Natalia. And originally, this was supposed to be a non-title match, but they they show a promo before this match starts where they face off. Before the event, Natalia basically dares her to put the title on her, and uh, to put the title up for grabs tonight, and she does. So this is a title match. Charlotte, the champion, she comes out with her dad. Natalia comes out second as the challenger. Of course, another Canadian, a member of the famous Hart family. Uh, she's relatively over as she comes out, probably because she, in her promo just shamelessly repeatedly name-dropped her uncle, Bret Hart, and came out wearing a T-shirt with her uncle, Bret, and Owen Hart, uh, like a, a T-shirt with the two of them on it. So that'll be a way to get you some cheers in Canada. Uh, <laughs> but they start by doing some some submission wrestling early uh, on the uh, some early kind of mat wrestling. Um, Natalia puts her in the big elevated surfboard at one point, which got a pop in the crowd. Charlotte uh, ends up pulling her out of the ring and dropping her on the floor and taking over. And she beats her down for a long time. She's working over the leg. Her and her dad, Ric Flair, at ringside, they're both doing the Flair strut at the same time. Um, Natalia gets a comeback. She hits a side leg sweep and she hits this big discus lariat. Uh, she goes for the sharpshooter, but Charlotte rolls her up and then hits her in the face with a big boot. Charlotte puts in the bigger, puts her in the figure four leg lock. They roll back and forth. Finally, uh, she drags it to the outside and gets the bottom rope and gets out. Charlotte comes back in. She hits natural selection, but Natalia kicks out. Charlotte goes up for a moonsault, but Natalia gets up there, hits a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count. She locks in the sharpshooter in the middle of the ring. You've got Ric Flair reaching for Charlotte, almost at the ropes. Natalia, like an idiot, lets the lets the hold go to try and take a swing at Ric Flair. And then Charlotte rolls her up and pins her and retains the title in 13 minutes and 22 seconds. So it was a pretty good match. But I hated the finish because it is. I just felt like it was kind of classic WWE making your babyface look like an idiot at all times. But that's what babyfaces are, David. Babyfaces are inherently idiots because they are t- they are too innocent and pure for this world, and they must be treated as such. I was like, you've got you've got the sharpshooter locked in. Like, you don't need to do this. You don't need to try and punch a seventy five year old man. You what? can just win. I don't know. <laughs> I would like to punch several seventy five year old men at this point. 
Oh, that was a, that was very topical, Angela. Hey, I'll give you points for that one. Thank you. I got her in points somewhere. Um, I don't know. This match felt very old school to me, like something that you would see in the eighties or nineties, except not at all because you wouldn't have women wrestling in old school match in the eighties or nineties. Um, but there's there's some old school promo. Obviously, you have Charlotte kind of uh, dissing on the Canadians. You have Natalia playing the uh, you know innocent baby face, uh, you know hometown hero kind of vibe. Uh, the match itself, not a lot going on. Um, I thought the figure eight spot uh, outside the ring where like Natalia's in the ring and then Charlotte's kind of like hanging out uh, was a really cool looking spot. Also, the way Flair interacts in this match, very old school manager. And I ironically really enjoy proud dad Ric Flair because after his entire career and ha- everything that he's been through in the past 10 years, it's just nice to see him like – you know, look at his kids and be like, you know, I'm very proud. And it's just very something, something wholesome about Ric Flair, uh, just being proud of Charlotte. Um, Listen, he he should be proud of Charlotte because he had three kids. <laughs> David Flair, terrible wrestler. Reed Flair didn't really make it at all. But then on the third try, we got Charlotte Flair. And finally, we got a Flair who inherited the wrestling talent. So he should be proud of Charlotte. And something that she does that's really underrated, besides like her the work that she does, is just how she talks during a match and her reactions as she's wrestling. Like a lot of things that she was doing, it's like very small things where she's like saying no, 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 no. Like when she's about to get power bombed, someone else that does a great job of that is like Samoa Joe. I just love it when heels are like pretend, like actually like over the top selling how much trouble they're in when they're about to get hit with a move or they're Angelo. in a move. I've got a guy for you, and he goes by the name of Switchblade Jay White. Oh, Jay White does it great, too. You want to talk about a guy? He didn't shut up for the entire match he had with Ibushi, but I actually liked every second of it. I need to add that to my watch list. Yeah. Oh, you need to carve out some time in your day to watch Ibushi versus Jay White. But, so I'm, off on fr- I'm off on Saturday, and there's only limited football to watch outside the playoff games. Like, it, it was it is like it's like forty eight minutes long, but but you need fifteen minutes before to prep and fifteen minutes afterwards to recover. So just be ready yeah. for that. It is it is a freaking masterpiece. It is just perfectly perfectly put together. Perfectly, like it's it's like a forty eight minute match that feels like it's twenty five minutes, but then like once it's over, the fatigue hits you, and you gotta like <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta smoke a cigarette or something. You know, <laughs> it's great. It's a great match, but uh, yeah. Uh, Charlotte Flair beats Natalia. Pain's the deepest. Oh, wait. One more thing. Have you noticed that they were calling Natalia a has-been back in 2016? (laughs) That's uh, that's harsh, but yeah, you know what? You're right. (laughs) (laughs) And where are we at four years? And where are we at four years later? But the thing is, like... Yeah, 2016, though, like, she was... Like third, like she was in like her early thirties. So she, so has like been, she was like technically like in her prime. You know? She has been doing the old has been veteran wrestler gimmick for four years now. Yeah, that's basically well, been like I'm I'm the veteran for uh, ever. I mean, I don't know if she has ever really had another character other than that. At least I mean, wasn't wasn't she Ronda Rousey's friend? Wasn't that a gimmick at one point? Yeah, she was also Ronda Rousey's friend. Yeah, because she was a veteran, she was showing her the ropes. Yeah, exactly, because it, it also tied into the veteran thing, because it was like, I also taught Ronda how to wrestle, you know, because I'm a veteran, and I'm a club, I'm, I'm a locker room leader, you know, that's that's kind of what it is. Right. So, next up is, so this is technically, 
a two-on-one handicap match. No, it's not. But Shut it, up. It isn't. I mean, it technically <laughs> is, but it really isn't. So it is the Wyatt family. Bray Wyatt and the late great Luke Harper, rest in peace, Brody Lee, uh, taking on the beast, Brock Lesnar. And so this is classic Firefly entrance Wyatt family. Was there, there was absolutely nothing like the Firefly entrance to me, the original Wyatt family entrance. Like oh, you know, man. The, the Fiend and everything, has, it's been cool and it's been different and I've, I've enjoyed it. I've generally enjoyed it a lot over the last year and change or whatever it's been, but it does not compare to the atmosphere of Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family coming in to the with the lights out and the fireflies and everything. It's that is the coolest. Unironically, the best entrance of the 2010s. I agree with you completely. Yep. yep. And uh if you go back and watch his one at Mania whenever he wrestled John Cena, oof, spicy. Do we ever get so a Brave versus Taker match? Yes, we do, yes, but it's not did. as good as you yeah. want it to be. Shame. I want to say was that his first Mania after he lost uh Brock? Was then he then came back and beat Bray? Or was it? It was like around uh, then. It was like right yeah, after get, or something. I get the whole thing mixed up, but it was very close. Because yeah. the story you should be able to tell with that match should have made that a moneymaker. Yes. Um, that is one that I have talked about for a long time or have thought about for a long time is like Bray should have cut, should have gone over and then like they passed the torch from Undertaker to Bray Wyatt as like the new supernatural heel who does evil magic. But then Bray oh, jobbed no. out. Bray jobbed out like he always does, uh, and then because he's a company man, it sucked. It, sucked. It, it was it was bad. So the I, I will say the ambiance of the Firefly entrance in this one was ruined a little bit because Bray cuts a promo on the way to the ring, whereas normally you kind of bask in the uh, the, the atmosphere and kind of the the soft haunting music. This time, Bray's just cutting a promo and yelling into the microphone as he walks to the ring. Um, and it, it kind of ruined it a little bit for me. Um, Brock Lesnar's music hits. He gets a huge pop. Suplex City chance. Um, Heyman comes in. He cuts the big My Name is Paul Heyman promo. Everyone loves it. Uh, Brock looked like a freaking monster. I mean, this was a very jacked Brock. He was not fully cycled off of the steroids he was taking uh, on his last... <laughs> On his last UFC run, and he looked great. He was freakishly, uh, freakishly large. I'm glad it's not only me. Like, I know, like, get, we've been watching some 80s and 90s wrestlers, and a lot of their thing is like, oh, big guy who's muscly who can't really work. Now that's not Brock, but Brock would have looked like he fit in right there. Yes. Except the thing about Brock is that he's a supernaturally freakish athlete, and is essentially like the next evolution of Homo sapiens. They're all in in a thousand years if. We have not wiped out humankind off this planet. We will likely have all evolved into Brock Lesnar's because he is the next step <sighs> on the evolutionary food chain. All of our great, 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 great grandchildren will all be Brock Lesnar's. All of them. It's Mine will be 6'3, awesome. not 6'6. Six, six. Yes. <laughs> you will still be short. Yeah, you'll be 6'3 and you'll still be short. But <laughs> one day. Angelo and Gleese, and Gleese is going to make it to six feet. It's going to happen one of these days. One of these generations is going to happen. Um, so this is technically supposed to be Wyatt family versus Brock. Two on one, Bray and Luke Harper. But 
Dave Meltzer reported going into this that Bray had actually suffered a relatively serious back injury in the week before. So they kept this technically as a handicap match, but when the when the bell rings, Bray just immediately leaves the ring and just stands at ringside. He never actually gets into this match. So it ends up just being Brock Lesnar versus Luke Harper. And uh, every time Brock kind of gets near him, Bray sort of just runs away. Um, they have this little encounter on the outside, and then Luke Harper runs at him, hits a big suicide dive, then they get in the ring. Luke starts countering all of Brock's suplexes. He gets this big run of offense. He hits a big boot. He hits two super kicks. He hits that massive discus lariat. And there's nobody who did a discus lariat quite like Brody Lee. He absolutely kills Brock with this discus lariat, but he kicks out at two. Brock gets behind. He hits a German suplex. Luke gets another brief comeback where he hits another super kick. He goes for another discus lariat, but Brock ducks him. And then it's Suplex City, bitch. The count gets up to seven German suplexes for Brock Lesnar. Hits the F5 and gets the pin in four minutes and two seconds. Um, you know, it, it, it's a short match, but it doesn't really feel like a squash. And there's a lot of action, a lot of big boy stuff packed into that four minutes. I didn't remember this match really specifically going back before I watched. I kind of assumed like, oh, it's Brock's going to go over both these losers in like five seconds and kill them. And it's going to be a squash. But I actually enjoyed this. Out of, uh, I, I actually being optimistic. I think I actually kind of no. said the same thing as David. I said this is oddly one of the better Brock matches I've seen. No, I mean, I, I, I say this because, yes, it was a short match, but they did give Luke Harper way, way, way more than a lot of Brock Lesnar opponents got. That's fair. I don't know. The one thing it did do was it made Bray look like a total chump because they didn't tell anyone he was hurt. And so it's now like, oh, he cut this promo on the way to the ring talking about, oh, we're going to kick Brock Lesnar's ass. And then it's like every time Brock Lesnar looks 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 at him, he runs away. Yeah, and now that, you look like a bitch, dude. Yeah, talk about killing the character there. Uh, because, like, again, Bray says all this stuff about how he's going to stand over the beast uh, and then looks like an absolute shit-eating keel. Like, you could replace the Bray with Miz, and I'd believe it was more in character. Because it's just, like, this version of Bray Wyatt, the uh, cult leader, he, he would have done it, but he would have done it his own way. This kind of just felt like chicken shit heel crap. Uh, so, again, it's just another way that he got booked that ultimately ended up killing the entire cult leader persona. And have and made him, you know, adopt the fiend persona, which again he's been doing an incredible job with. But again, you kind of feel like that's on borrowed time because WWE is going to find some way to make it ridiculous, and it's already starting to get ridiculous because he was just literally lit on fire. Uh, the thing that confused me the most was that it's again face Brock Lesnar in the year 2016. Uh, again, Mike, I came back to wrestling, I think about probably about a year after this. And at this time, it's always been boring Brock matches of suplexes, F5s, and maybe some submissions and striking. And I think it's kind of the, the big thing why I don't like watching Brock Lesnar matches is that he never really varies from like the same three moves. I, I just wish that he would have a match. And I know there are matches where he does a lot more than three moves, but it just feels like ever since he returned, it's just with some exceptions. Suplexes, F5, maybe some punches, kicks, shoulders in the corner, 
at submissions. It's not a lot. I just it just leaves me wanting more because I know Brock is great, and it feels like they're limiting him to just these moves because those are the you know the big moves that get pops. Those are the only ones that people want to see. Yeah, uh, I don't know. This version of Brock is definitely a lot different. You know, you go back and look at his two thousand two stuff. I mean, the guy was one of the best workers in the company. I agree. I agree. I'm mostly like referring to like comeback Brock after UFC, Brock. right? Well, I mean, his gimmick just is that, which for better or for worse, I mean, he's still able to have good matches whenever he's given the time. Like, you look at the AJ and the Finn Balor match and the Daniel Bryan match, like, he can't. That's what's frustrating, though, because it's like, I want to see, give me a 13-minute Brock match. Give me a 13-minute Brock match where it's actually, like, a match that we would see on WWE TV and not, oh, here's Brock Lesnar, here are the hits, go home. Right. But, like, like name every good big man he's had a match with since his comeback. Because there's only one guy, and it's Goldberg. Yeah. And even the Goldberg match was, like, five minutes. Right. Like, he just – Brock has never worked well with big guys. Braun, uh, Roman, just never really been there for him. So I understand why they kind of want to limit it. Um, but to me, like, this was kind of – so, uh, sullied because it's you know it's it's Luke Harper, Brody Lee, John Huber, whatever you want to say, and like I like him as a wrestler. I want to see him really work, not just put in his two moves and go home. You know, yes. he got his three things and then it was over. And I will I say wish- this it, it, because of his size, because like Brody Lee is like one of the few actual jot. I'll say giant in quotes because we there's not a lot of seven footers walking through that door like Big Show, but he's one of the few giant guys in the business that can actually sell really well and put together a great match. And the way that Brock was just kind of throwing him, I'm sure Brody had a, a helping hand in that. It just looks so impressive because he's just going a, completely across the ring, and he's six five, like two eighty. It's just so impressive. Yeah, and and I know for like from everything you hear about him. Like John Huber probably did that job willingly and and graciously, and didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, but it's also at the same time. At the same time, Brock friggin' Lesnar. Like, what are you gonna do? Right, right. They want you to job for Brock Lesnar. You're jobbing for Brock friggin' Lesnar. You know. Give me a just give me the Luke Harper Brock Lesnar match that we all wanted. Yeah. Where it's it's not just four minutes. It's give them a few more minutes of them beating each other up. I think that give cool. them seven. <laughs> yeah, give them seven. I could do seven. Seven but minutes. Yeah. Brody Lee busts open Lesnar. Lesnar wins and just like stares down Brody at the end of the match. Yep. Yeah, I think I could I could be down with that. But yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of sad irony that the first time the randomizer saw fit to give us a uh, a John Huber Brody Lee Luke Harper match was, I mean, just the week after he passed away. Um, and they had that just incredible uh, tribute show for him on AEW Dynamite that le- legitimately made me tear up, and I never actually, like, tear up at stuff. Uh, but rest in peace, Brody Lee, John Huber, man. Freaking, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, sad to see him. Sad to see him a little Should have been in the main event of Mania. He should have been just just a year later. He should have been the main event of Mania. But this was a short match. But I was I, I will say it again. I was pleasantly surprised with it because I did think that they made 
Luke actually look like somewhat of a threat to Brock. And they gave him a lot more offense than I thought they would. So one match until the main events. It is just a regular singles match. It is Sami Zayn uh, from Montreal, Canada, the uh, home country hero. Uh, this was Babyface NXT, Sami Zayn. He is about a month away from going to the main roster full time. His last NXT match was at the ensuing TakeOver WrestleMania weekend against Shinsuke Nakamura, which is one of my favorite NXT TakeOver matches of all time. Uh, Shinsuke debuted, and that kind of sent Sammy off to the main event. So this is the ending part of his NXT run. Uh, just a natural white meat baby face, a just complete ska nerd that the fans all freaking love. Um, he is <laughs> taking on... Man, this was a messed up ass gimmick, boys. We're talking about Stardust. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Cody Rhodes as some sort of like strange interdimensional alien, kind of. And it was bizarre. And it sort of sucked. It ended I up mean, with him feuding with the Green Arrow. Yeah, you know what? It did give us Stephen Amell wrestling, which was kind of cool, I guess. But yeah, it was. And I, I will give I will give Cody Rhodes credit for this till the day I die. He has said many times that he thought this gimmick sucked and he hated it and it was stupid. But when he was in character, he always committed to it really hard and gave it his all. It was just stupid. And there it, were times when it was sad. over too. Yeah, just, but just not that many. Yeah. Just didn't really make any sense, and it was weird. But it is Sami Zayn and Stardust. This to me is honestly maybe the worst match on the show. Yeah, really boring. No crowd heat whatsoever. Even though Sami Zayn himself and Babyface was very, very, very over at this time period, like no one cares about this match at all. Um, very early on, Sammy tries a kind of springboard move, but Cody punches him in the face and he takes over. Uh, he hits a sit-out side slam for a two-count. Cody hits a superplex off the top rope. Sammy gets his comeback. He hits a flip dive to the outside. He hits a blue thunder bomb for a two-count. Stardust hits a disaster kick for a near fall. Finally, at the end, Sammy hits an exploder suplex into the corner. He hits the haluva kick. And he gets the pin and the win in 12 minutes and 33 seconds. Sami Zayn is the winner. Uh, there was only one thing that I really liked about this. And it's something that Sami does every match. Dave and I have talked about it before. When Sami hits the blue thunderbomb, he never wins with it. But God damn it, this is going to be the time that he wins <laughs> with it. Because when he hits it, he puts his hand up in the air and he shakes and they kick out, and he's like, oh, how could they kick out of that? Like, Sammy, buddy, they've kicked out of a hundred of them at this point. Yeah. But by God, the next one's going to win one for him. God. There are a lot of moves like that that I love. Like, it seems like a lot of guys have, a, have like, a secondary move like that that they, all, they never win with, but they're always shocked. Like, I think Baron, Baron Corbin with the deep six, which is a really yeah, yeah, cool yeah. move. Mm -hmm. He never wins with it. He always tries to pin the guy after the deep six, and he's always aghast at the referee. This <laughs> <laughs> move he has never won with in his career. All right, now I know the apocalypse is coming because David just complimented Baron Corbin. 
I will say this about Baron Corbin. I think he's boring. I don't like his matches. I don't like his persona. I don't like his promos. When he was in NXT and he was still trying to have, like, make the long hair work, even though he was balding aggressively, he was one of the most unsightly people I've ever seen in my life. But the Deep Six and the End of Days are both really cool moves. But, uh, man, uh, I will say this. David, you always talk about your love letter to Sami Zayn and just how much of a white meat baby face he is. Oh, I think I've done the whole the whole monologue on this podcast before. Oh, yeah. Yes. Let me just say this is my first time exposed to this version of Sami Zayn. And I understand what you're saying, David. Like, he's just so fun. Like, he just has this air about him, this care in the world. Like, he's just here. He's happy to be here. He's his unique character. He's himself. The guy who's on TV is the guy you would probably meet outside at the bar. Um, and he just has this like nice baby face energy and just kind of now that I'm looking back, like now looking at how his career has gone and where he's at right now, uh, it is depressing to think about because does he do a good job at playing a heel? Yes. But when you're get, when you're that fun, you have that theme music, you kind of have those mannerisms, you have that move pool, those reactions and he's a heel now. Oh man. It oh sucks. man, WWE. It sucks How? to think about. It How? It's bad. It sucks to think about. It makes me sad. Because, yeah, like, we said it, you know? Him doing what he's doing, he's a very good heel. Like, he's good at it. I, I mean, you know, I, I, can't, I can't fault the work that he's doing at all. But he was such a, just a great natural baby face, you know? I mean, when you watch him in his NXT run, he was so great. And even his first couple years on the main roster, he was so over. The fans just loved the guy. He didn't have any like crazy character or anything. He was just a freaking. He was just a guy that you He's know. Just goofball. People liked him. People just freaking liked the guy. You know, he had good vibes. Everyone loves good vibes. It's all about vibes. We're just trying to vibe out here. Um, speaking of vibes, uh, Stardust certainly a vibe. I, I David, you mentioned it before. Uh, it, Cody's character work, even if he thinks the gimmick is stupid. Tremendous. I thought like like he had very different mannerisms in the ring as Stardust, as we've seen with like disfigured Cody Rhodes or just regular Cody. Um, I thought he played up to well. His reaction to when fans were chanting Cody, I thought were, was perfect as well. Because it kind of stops like, do not mention that name in front of my presence because that is not who I am. I, don't, I I appreciate it. The reverse Boston Crab was interesting as well. I was like, okay, this is a move. I could see how this is interesting, but at the same time, uh, JBL kind of says that you can't sit down on it to make it look actually good. So it just ends up with a guy holding your legs like a wheelbarrow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was a match. It wasn't great, but like, you know what? Sami Zayn, man. Big baby face energy. They, uh, Michael Cole almost acknowledged El Generico at one point uh, because the crowd was doing the Ole chant. And Michael Cole was like, and the crowd recognizing, uh, Zane's former gimmick. Yeah. And that was yes. it. <laughs> yep. His uh, former persona, where he <laughs> pretended to be a Mexican guy for some reason, but we all loved it. it was, yeah. I don't know. Like, could, do you think that today Sami Zayn could get away with El Generico? I think yes. No. It's, no? I don't think so. I think no, tongue in, I think tongue in cheek. Just the name itself, El Generico. Like, you're just a well, generic yeah. dude. 
Yeah. Well, because like the whole the whole gimmick with El Generico was that like he wasn't actually like he was obviously like he couldn't speak Spanish. He was obviously a guy pretending to be a luchador. Maybe. Yeah. But okay, I, I also get feel it. like I don't know because like it is tongue tongue in cheek, but I don't know. Sometimes I think about it. And I don't know if he could do it anymore. Oof, man, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It 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 is interesting to think about. But yes, this was just. A, a great version of Sammy in not a very good match. This sort of felt like some of the matches we saw on, like, like Fall Brawl, 1991. Bash like at the that. Beach, 1999. Sort of, like sort of felt like that a little bit. I didn't like it. No, not even Bash at the Beach, 1999, because no one, like, you know, Gary Coleman wasn't there. Like, nothing nothing that crazy happened. It was just kind of like a boring match, you know? Um, so, next up, the main event. It's time for the reason that this event even happen. It is Dean Ambrose and Triple H, the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. The winner will end up in the main event at WrestleMania to face Roman Reigns for the title. And again, this is a match that was built up extremely well on TV, in my opinion. I remember it very well. I was very invested in it. Dean Ambrose was just a, just a great babyface and Fans really loved him, and he was very over, and they wanted him to win. He comes out, he gets a huge pop. This is, in my opinion, one of the best forms of Triple H. Jacked old man with shaved head and beard who wrestles four times a year, but is still kind of good. <laughs> I always like very this specific. I always like this form of Triple H, um, and of course, he comes out to one of the greatest theme songs of all time, the game. So. Very early on in this match, you know, you have, so you have Triple H and you have Dean Ambrose, who's the wild man. He's the lunatic fringe. Um, Dean Ambrose is trying to prove that he can actually belong, like he actually belongs with a guy like Triple H in a wrestling ring. And in the first part of this match, it actually ends up being kind of a methodical technical wrestling match as Dean tries to prove himself as a technical wrestler. And that has always been the secret about Dean Ambrose, John Moxley. He's a great brawler, but he's a damn good wrestler, too. And you end up with him eventually getting the upper hand and out-wrestling Triple H for a decent part of this match. It's, uh, you know, as Michael Cole notes, notes with astonishment on commentary that the, it looks like the lunatic has a game plan. Just <laughs> uh, kind of a goofy quote, but I mean, I think it kind of illustrates the story of this match. It's Dean Ambrose is actually trying to rein in his, you know, insane instincts and win this title in a wrestling match, and he's doing really well at it. Uh, he goes after the leg, and he, you know, out wrestles Triple H for a while. Um, eventually, Triple H shoves him into the ring steps, and he takes the advantage, and he starts wearing him down and getting the heat on him. Triple H wrestling as the heel in this match, he puts him in a cross face for a long time. He hits his big spine buster for a two count. Dean gets a big comeback. He hits a running bulldog. He hits the, his rebound clothesline through the ropes that he doesn't do anymore for a two count. Um, eventually, Dean reverses a, a pedigree attempt into the figure four leg lock. Then he puts him in a sharpshooter. Crowd goes crazy when they see the sharpshooter because, you know, Bret Hart, we're in Canada. Um, Triple H escapes, but then turns around right into the dirty deeds and Dean pins triple H and the referee counts three. 
And when his ref, when the referee's hand hits the mat a third time, there is a big pop because the fans for a second think that Dean Ambrose has won the title. But then they do some bullshit to us. The referee immediately starts waving it off because he says that Dean Ambrose's foot was under the bottom. And they were. I'm they sorry, were not. And they and they were not. When you actually watch it, they his foot wasn't under the rope. No. And that was how they booked the match. So even though they didn't really pull it off right, and it doesn't you know pass the smell test at all, they still say, well, his foot was under the bottom rope. So the match has to continue. Which, A, like you said, it wasn't. And B, since when has that ever been a rule that they enforce? I have never seen that enforced in my life. So they're just making shit up now to piss off the fans. Um, so now Dean, he has just seen his WWE championship. He thought he had it won. He did have it won for a second. But it has been cruelly taken away from him by a referee, uh, Kip Kissinger. And uh, that was that was a joke that was made for Jake to laugh, and he didn't react to it. So I'm just going to move on from that. Oh, I just understood. Yeah, that was, was like- a joke. I was like, why is David giving out referee names? Oh, haha, David, that, that was, was good. Joke. Thank you. You know, bad college basketball referee. Okay. Ah. So that, was, that was only for him. That was only for Jake. You should have said John Higgins. And, and he, oh, I didn't want to say John Higgins because John Higgins actually helped WVU win the other day. Oof. So, but John Higgins not, is still he, full of shit. John Higgins is not on my shit list anymore. At least for now. At least until the next, at least until next time. He's, he gets a break for this week. But. Yeah, that was a joke that was only for Jake, and he no-sold it, so now I feel like an asshole. I get it now. We're good. So, We're good. Okay. But now his, 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 his title has been cruelly ripped from him by this referee. So now the lunatic comes out. He gets mad. He starts losing his composure. He loses his, uh, his discipline, and he goes wild on him. And he throws Triple H out of the ring. He does a suicide dive. He Climbs up to the top rope and he jumps on him to the outside and he lands and he does the DX crotch chops on the floor and the crowd loves that. Eventually he puts Triple H on the announce table. He tries to do a like a running diving elbow off the barricade. Triple H rolls off the table, gets out of the way, and Dean does the bump through the table. The table breaks. And then they slide back in the ring. And Triple H hits the pedigree. One, two, three. Triple H gets the win, 24 minutes and 42 seconds, and we will get Triple H and Roman Reigns in the main event at WrestleMania. And yes, it will suck, and the fans will hate it, because that's what happened. Oh, man. that uh, I, I feel like your entire enjoyment of this match hinges on how you felt about that false finish. It you know sucked. What I mean? It was bad. Like... I popped whenever it happened because I was like, oh, shit, I don't remember this happening. And I was like, oh, that's right. They did this stupid thing. So, like, I don't know. I feel like in the moment, Jake would have been like, oh, damn. I, I, I don't know. Uh, your, your entire enjoyment is going to hinge on that one match and or on that one moment. And also on how much you didn't want Roman in the main event. Or Triple H versus Roman in the main event. Well, so that that is the one thing about it. Because we talk about the false finish and how they did it and how they executed it. It's, it's the fact, what makes it really bad is that 
they chose to do it with a rule that is never actually enforced in wrestling. Right. Like, it's one thing if, like, Triple H's foot had been under the ropes and they wave it off for that. Because you do see that sometimes. Yep. Not with the guy doing the pin having his foot under the ropes. That never happened. Not they just to, made something up for this. Not to mention, not three matches before, Charlotte used the ropes to pin Natalia. And you, that ref should have seen Charlotte's feet on the ropes. And that that was upheld in a championship match as well. So what the hell are you talking about? Dean's not even using them for leverage. Yeah. I'm starting to think that these WWE refs aren't very good at their job. What a shock. <laughs> um, I will say this, though, like with this match, the story that it tells is very good. Like you have Dean again, the whole thing is like he's a lunatic fringe, but he actually has a game plan for this match against Triple H, and he's executing his game plan plan perfectly. He's hitting Triple H with everything he's got. You see a lot of the classics from Triple H before that point, and then you get that finish where Dean hits the dirty deeds, and he is the champion, and that match should have ended, but it doesn't. And so then the lunatic comes out, and the lunatic's saying these all these big high spots, and then ultimately it ends with the game playing the game, baiting Dean to come into the ring. And then hitting him with a pedigree, one, two, three. What happens if Dean kicks out of that and you get a little bit more, like five minutes more of a slugfest? And then Dean ultimately hits like a super avalanche, dirty deeds uh, on H to win the title. You have actual compelling storytelling. You have an actual meaningful thing. Like, I get why it's Triple H winning. He's the COO and they think, okay, the money match is going to be Roman Reigns versus Triple H. Triple H for that nostalgia factor, Roman Reigns to kind of be the next guy. It works in theory, except when your top baby face in Roman Reigns is getting booed out of every <laughs> arena you go to. It works when you have a guy not named Triple H who, again, is doing some fine character work at this point. But he's the CEO and the heavyweight champ. Really, we need to do that. We have to do the whole nine yards for Triple H here in the 2016. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah, he wrestles well. But you don't – like the fact that he is the COO and the world heavyweight champion uh, honestly pisses me off. I don't like that well, concept. I think know, it's stupid. And you know how much we all care about the title of COO. Yes, yeah. I, I, evidently, yes. <laughs> it's just so dumb. And you have a crowd that's ready for it. Nothing is better in the WWE when you get a truly surprise pop. Like, yes, do we expect Dean to win this match? No, because why would WWE do the fun thing? But no, it works. Doing the fun thing. Like, when you have Brock Lesnar squashing guys that are supposed to be at the top of the card – that's for the fans' enjoyment, and at the time, at this time, that's what fans want. Fans want to see Brock as this conquering human mass of just muscle and vengeance. The fans want to hear Dean to go over. And if you're doing a house show that's a main event right before WrestleMania, well, guess what? If you put the title on Ambrose, whether you take it off on him, take him off, take it off him on Raw, whether you include that in the match at WrestleMania, so you have like a fatal four-way between Lesnar, Reigns, Triple H, and Dean. Like, you have a story there. There's things you could do with that. Instead, what we get is a tease, something that we all want to see Dean Ambrose go over, and then just the most mild finish to a pay-per-view that we've seen in a long time. Because that crowd was hot for Dean going over. You hear the gasp when he gets hit with the pedigree. And then once that ref counts three, the entire arena goes silent. Not even booze, no cheers. It's just silent. Yep, yep. Good and said it better myself. But yeah, I mean, I know, I know, Angelo, you kind of like prepared for this, 
by kind of putting yourself back in 2016 and following how this kind of oh, built up to this match. Oh my god! And yeah, I mean, it was it was very well built up for Dean to win the title here, and then you go into Mania with Dean versus Roman, and now Roman, the guy who's getting booed all the time, well, he could just be the heel, and you can have the babyface who actually has a real, genuine connection to the crowd that they all are invested in. Be the babyface. And you could sell the fact that, like, you're pushing babyface Reigns as the background. Like, Reigns pretending, like, Reigns acting like he's still a babyface, but being a delusional heel, like, kind of like what Bailey did this past year of being, like, a role model. Like, doing that in the Reigns way would have worked perfectly for that match because you're having face of the company Roman Reigns going up against former friend, former Shield member Dean Ambrose for the world title with Dean being the champion going into that match. That is a fascinating thing because like you have Roman who is the anointed guy. You have Dean as the plucky upstart kind of like this version of Dean Ambrose was one of the closest things they got to Steve Austin before Becky Lynch adopted the man persona. And it would have worked so well. And if you want to include Triple H and make it a triple threat, if you want to throw Brock Lesnar in there because he's supposed to face Dean at WrestleMania that year anyway, go for it. There's nothing wrong with having a fatal four-way match to get guys in there, especially when you have a storyline of Brock wants to kick Dean at Dean's ass, Dean usurped Triple H as a champion, Roman's the face of the company, and Triple H has to right the wrong. It, yep. it works when you have those overlaying stories. The problem, <laughs> the problem is when you ignore them for the sake of, oh, this is what we had, in, this is what we had planned, and we're not going to deviate from it. I have a proposal. I think Angelo has surpassed me, and I have become the half mark. No, David. Angelo's over here booking twenty six or fantasy booking twenty sixteen WWE like. <laughs> That's some shit that even I don't delve into. <laughs> Jake, it doesn't Buddy. make me feel good about it. I think this is just one – the only reason why I'm fantasy booking is because I'm such a Dean Ambrose mark, John Moxley mark, that it pisses me off that the guy – like he did get a run later on. But it pisses me off to see that like what he had complained about the company for for the past year, see it on full display in this match. Yeah. I mean uh, I get that. I just like giving you a hard time. <laughs> Somebody give Angelo the book, baby. Somebody give him the book. But yeah, I we're I mean, we're basically pissing in the wind here. I mean, this happened four years ago, five years ago <laughs> now almost. <laughs> That's my but specialty, David. I will say this. I agree with you. And I've been I've been banging the shum for a long time. Banging the shum for a long time. Dean should have won. It would have been better for we would be in a better place as as a country if Dean Ambrose had won this match. But Listen, you know, we're, we're, we're heading towards some very dark times in this country, and I have to say, I think it might have started here in Toronto. In March. <laughs> you know what? The world hasn't been right since uh, Ambrose left the WWE. No, it hasn't been. It's been going downhill. But Coincidence? I think not. Uh, this is all Tony Khan's fault. It's all his fault. But, yeah. Dean versus Triple H. I do love this match. This is honestly one of my favorite Triple H solo matches, especially like later in his career, because I just love the story of this match. I think it's a very, very interesting story. I think it's well told where you have the kind of the wild man, lunatic wrestler wrestling with a game plan and actually, you know, hunkering down and, and doing this, you know, going at him with a technical style to try and win this match straight up and he almost does it and then when it gets taken away from him he gets pissed and he goes back to his worst instincts and he loses 
I, I just think it's a great story. I think it's, it's executed extremely well. And I've always really, really liked this match. And I, I was very happy to, to go back and watch this, this match this week. Can't wait for the randomizer to give us something decidedly less fun. Probably. We're probably going to get like, we're probably going to get the, uh, the WrestleMania that had Lawrence Taylor on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get Survivor right. Series 1996. Oof. Or like Royal Rumble 92 or like 89. Royal Rumble 89. Was that the Bundy one? That was John Studd, wasn't it? It might have been John Studd. You're right. It was John Studd. Good job. Good call. That, yeah, it was, that, that was that's why John I said Studd. it, because I was like, you just get this random ass, like, big John Studd one. <laughs> and Jake, that's why you're the full mark and I'm the half mark, because I wouldn't be able to pull that one out. Remember how, the first, remember how the first ever Royal Rumble was won by Hacksaw Jim Duggan? <laughs> oh! It'd be like, at least... At least they bring him back for shit. Yeah. Wait, is John Studd dead? Because if so, that's bad. I believe he is. I'm going to have to check, but I think he is. Well, I take that one back. Yeah, he, yeah he's... Yeah, Big John Be kind of weird if he showed up to Raw. <laughs> Big John Studd died 25 years ago. And we've hologrammed John Studd yeah. hitting someone with a steel chair. Rest in peace to Big John Studd. Damn. I Never mind, my bad. Yeah, he, I didn't know he died that long ago. Jeez, I thought it was like way more recent than that. Uh, yeah, rest in peace to John Studd. Um, so that will bring us to our two and a half marks. Angelo, start us off. Sure. Um, I know it was probably a bad match, but my half mark is going to Sammy and Cody. Because again, babyface Sammy Zayn, there's just this jovial energy about it. Um, you really just kind of encapsulated me both times I watched the match. And for better or for worse, Cody plays Stardust extremely well. Did the match have a lot of exciting spots? No. But I can at least appreciate both those characters um, and the fact that they're paired up in e- with each other. It feels like that was a match that had a lot more potential and then ultimately fell flat. But you know what? Their character work, top tier. Uh, I'm giving a negative one mark to 2016 Creative for the reasons I just explained. I'm not going to harp on them again. I will harp on this, however, because I know Creative has a role in it. Uh, what was up with naming pay-per-views for like race themes like Roadblock and Fast Lane? Like, really? We're going with those names. I get like you're trying to like make this as like the road to WrestleMania, but come on now. We can be more creative with those names than that. Like, yeah, Elimination Chamber is very simple of a name, but like that works. But like, why does it have to be about race cars and stuff? Like, come on now. Is this wrestling or racing? I this think- has been this has been an angry Angelo podcast. Yeah, it has been. I, I think this is what happens think- when you make fun of me for eating three rolls. The the uh the best lineup of pay-per-view names was like early to mid 2000s when you had like judgment day Armageddon. vengeance no way out like all the names were great they were all cool and then they got rid of them all for no reason they changed it for no reason fuck i don't know why they did that great american bash was a great like great pay-per-view name and they got rid of it until like this year the great american bash halloween havoc Shout out WCW. I don't understand why they changed it because they just had, you know, they they had them like clockwork every year and they they didn't need to change it, but they did. So, and my last, my two marks, um, this is obvious. Main event Ambrose, just a guy that absolutely got over top of the guy, a top of the card guy. And ultimately because of like creative, it doesn't work out with him in WWE, but man, when he was on his game in WWE and they let him breathe and be himself or be the character the way he wanted to portray it, it worked perfectly. 
It worked in the Shield. It worked here. It worked when he was champion. The guy was the top of the Carter, whether you like it or not. And I think it says a lot that you see a lot of guys like him leaving WWE because of how they book. And you miss out on a lot of top guys. That's why Roman and Drew are so important is because they're two of the few guys that actually feel like they they matter. Those are two of the few guys that feel like they're big time, that like are pay-per-view wrestlers. Yeah, we see them every week. But when you get to watch their stuff, it's, sec- it's second to none. Dean, John Moxley is in that category. And because they didn't see what they had in him, he's gone. And WWE is worse for it. So going to Mark's main event, Ambrose. Fun match to see. One of my favorite. This I will say. This is one of my favorite Ambrose matches I've watched. Yeah. All right. Sure. All right. I'll follow Angelo up. So David spent a lot of time talking shit on the refs, but I'm going to call out one ref in particular for my positive half mark. His name is Dan Engler. I think that's how you say his last name. He was the ref in the New Day match, the women's match, and I think there might have been one more. And I call him out because every time I watch him, I, I firmly believe he has the best fake three count in the business. He is so consistent every time up and down. And I don't know why. I just I've always latched on to his matches as being like, man, I, I can never tell that it's going to be like a one or a two. Yeah. Or yeah. a two or a three. I that is something that, like, I I thought I was the only person who thought about, like, thought about that, and I'm glad that someone else, because, like, that's one of the reasons I love Red Shoes is because he's really good at that. Yeah, but there are yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of there are a lot of referees who, like, you can tell when it's not going to be a three count because, like, they like put a different hitch in their shoulder when they're coming out a third time because they're like preparing to not hit the mat or something. Yep. But then there are a few refs who are able to just do it the same way. Yep. And then they just stop themselves. It's awesome. I love that. Um, and, like, he's put so much effort into it. I don't know. It just always looks awesome. Just, pay, if you watch that next time, just pay attention to the refs. One mark, Canadian wrestling pops. Because there's just something about Canada, baby. They're not <laughs> as nihilistic as us. Who's your daddy in Montreal? And then Shawn Michaels got booed for 10 minutes straight. Yes. Until he introduced Bret Hart and Bret Hart wasn't there. And then he got definitely booed for five more minutes. Canada does pop right, and I love it. Uh, like, I mean, honestly, you can look at any of the good pops in this card and attribute them to Canada. Uh, and my two marks, they're going – this is a very specific one. Long chance that the whole crowd does because nothing gets me jazzed up like DX doing the uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls – uh paul Heyman doing the uh my name is paul Heyman. uh enzo yeah enzo i couldn't think of his name enzo doing his stick i mean you want to talk about getting over just come up with something fun that the whole crowd wants to do and you're gonna get over even if it's something ridiculous like <laughs> we got uh uh or we're gonna spell it out for you and they spell soft wrong like <laughs> how did that get over it's the dumbest shit in the world because it's not but, soft it's soft yeah exactly you're more than soft boy you soft yeah so that's my two marks all right so i'm gonna give a i i, I actually generally liked this show but i have two minus ones on here so i'm gonna give minus half first off to the divas championship belt Ooh, the, yeah, good one. Like yeah, that, yeah. that like butterfly sort of like yep. design. 
looked like absolute dog shit. Just uh, unsightly. I hate it. And when when Charlotte walked out with it, I just, you know, I I, I was really glad that that thing's been relegated to the dustbin of history. No one ever talks about it or remembers it. They have just normal belts now. Fun fact, and this was the last pay-per-view it was defended on because WrestleMania went to the WWE Women's Championship. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This was this was the very end of the Divas title run, which was, thank God, because that belt sucked. One of the worst belts in the history of WWE. I'm going to give minus one. And we talked about this a little bit, kind of the formulaicness of, if, if that's even a word, formulaicness. Sure. I don't know what else it would be. Uh, of Brock Lesnar matches, I'm going to give minus one to Suplex City. Not Ooh. not as a catchphrase. The catchphrase okay. is great. You know, yeah, the t-shirts and all that. Um, <laughs> those are, that's fine. I, I, it just, it feels like once that became a thing, yeah, all his matches became Brock Lesnar does German suplexes a hundred times in a row. And I'm sorry, that's not interesting to me. It never was interesting to me. And it, but it just became kind of what he did because of the suplex city thing. I've been hanging out with David too much. We were in too much in lockstep on this pay-per-view. Yeah. But that's just something that I've never liked. And we, you know, we talked about it. Yeah. Brock doesn't work great with big guys. He's had great matches with other, I mean, like, you know, we said some great matches with guys who were, were smaller, who were really good workers. And you could do kind of a David versus Goliath thing and not build it around. Brock does a ton of suplexes, but God, you know, suplex city matches just for real boring and real repetitive. And I'm going to give my two marks. This is really kind of along the same lines as what Jake said. Two wrestling catchphrases. One of the best ways to get over and get over in a lasting way is have a good-ass catchphrase. The Rock had a fucking million of them. <laughs> the Rock The Rock has made a billion dollars because people like saying, shove it up their candy asses. Yes. The Rock literally became the most famous man in the world because he was really good at writing catchphrases. <laughs> hey guys, I could smell what The Rock is cooking. Exactly. Yeah, smells like Italian. That's what it comes down to. He was really good at writing catchphrases. And I mean, you know, we talk about it with Enzo and Cass. They had they have their whole litany of catchphrases that they do and everyone loves them. And everyone responds and they all chant them at the same time. Even Jack Swagger, who had no heat on this pay-per-view whatsoever. No one gave a single shit about Jack Swagger. But you know what was over? We the People people. was over. (laughs) And at least, hell, you got something there, right? Like, at least you got a catchphrase that people like. You can hang on to that. And your existence is not a a complete write-off. So it's all about catchphrases. You want to get over, get yourself a goddamn catchphrase. That will, uh, that's it for me. So my two marks go to catchphrase. Angelo, were you about to say something? All right, randomizer, give us the crap. Yes, that will uh, wrap up our coverage of WWE Roadblock. Not the end of the line. The beginning. Just Roadblock. (laughs) Just Roadblock. So that will uh, send us to our randomizer. We're going to find out what... We're going to be watching next week on the show. So as I pull this up, boys, what are you looking for? I'm looking forward to WWE Dash to the Finish. Finish the week before WrestleMania pay, uh, pay-per-view. Was that a thing? No. Uh, 
I don't know. Give me some 80s. You want some 80s? Yeah. Well, I can't promise some 80s. We're going to be going back to a, uh, a, a, I feel like we haven't talked about this year specifically a lot. We've kind of been in and around this era, but not this year. 93? 91. We're going to 2002. Oh. Okay. Ooh. WWE Backlash 2002 featuring our very first, I believe our very first Hulk Hogan match. Oh uh, no! Second match because we we Is had it? the one second one he faced Orin at SummerSlam. Oh god damn it! You're right. That was fucking forever ago. I forgot that we did that. <laughs> that was like okay. episode. That was episode six. But this is our first Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Oh 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 yes! It is Backlash 2002. We are going to be talking about a a main event match between Triple H and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Oh God! For the undisputed WWF title, we've also we got some pretty good looking matches on this show. We got Undertaker versus Stone Cold. We've got oh, Eddie shit. Guerrero. We got Eddie Guerrero versus RVD. We've got a Kurt Angle versus Edge match. We've got a Young Brock Lesnar versus Jeff Hardy match. There is some some matchups. On this show, Brock Brock Lesnar is going to throw Jeff Hardy through a concrete floor. Wait, why do you think they picked Jeff Hardy for this spot? Jazz, because he's going to hurt him. Because jazz he, is back. Yes, uh, Jazz is going to be on the show as well. So, if you're looking That'd for Jazz, good. if you're looking for Jazz content, we're going to have that next week. <laughs> well, she has <laughs> she she hasn't been here longer. I think the last time we saw her was like. Episode three, which is the ECW, the only ECW one we did, uh, uh, Anarchy Rules. You're right. I do believe she was on that show. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And that was like, it was like a shitty, like one minute match with some random fat guy. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, she's going to be in a shitty four and a half minute match with Trish Stratus on this next show. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for jazz content. We're going to have it for you in full for Backlash 2002 next week. But that'll wrap things up this week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So for my good friends, Angela Nglisa and Jake Wong, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.